This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back to the Art of Charm podcast, a show designed to help you communicate with power and become unstoppable on your path from hidden genius to influential leader. Now, we know you have what it takes to reach your full potential, and that's why each and every week, Johnny and I share with you interviews and strategies to help you transform your life by unlocking your unique X factor, whether it's in sales, leadership, medicine, building client relationships, or even looking for love, we got what you need. You shouldn't have to settle for anything less than extraordinary. Are you a super fan of the show? Did you know you could get the entire Art of Charm catalog? That's 15 years of podcasts featuring expert guests and toolbox episodes all ad-free when you subscribe to Stitcher Premium. Use our link in the show notes to subscribe today and use code CHARM to get a free month. That's stitcher.com. The link is in the show notes. Now I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. And today we're really excited to interview Dr. Wendy Suzuki. Dr. Suzuki is a professor of neuroscience and psychology at the New York University Center for Neuroscience. She's the author of Healthy Brain, Happy Life, a personal program to activate your brain and do everything better, and her latest book, Good Anxiety, Harnessing the Power of the Most Misunderstood Emotion, just came out. Now, in that book, she describes how if we treat anxiety as something we simply need to avoid or get rid of, we actually miss an opportunity to improve our lives. Johnny and I are so excited to talk to her today. Welcome to the show, Dr. Suzuki. Yeah, how has your morning been? Wendy, where are you located? I'm in New York City, so I'm in mid-afternoon. It's been great. You're the third podcast that I get to do today, so I'm all, all oh, warmed wow. up for you. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that helps us. Yeah. So that's great. Fantastic. And I guess to just to give you real quick, our audience is about 60, 40 men to women, 25 to 35. They are go-getters. And to navigate and manage anxiety is going to help them in their lives, considering that we're all using it. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about your book is as much as I have learned about anxiety and, and talked to many people about it, yours is the first book that discusses the good properties of anxiety and how we can use it to propel us forward rather than thinking about anxiety as something that hinders us. So please do share, how did this book come about? Well, it came about, the idea of good anxiety really came about thinking about anxiety from an evolutionary perspective. The emotion of anxiety didn't evolve just to be a big old anchor around our neck. That's not why things evolve. It evolved to protect us. It evolved to, uh, um, it's actually essential for our survival. So that makes a lot more sense. And that really shifts the original kind of thought process and mindset around anxiety. It's not something that you want to sweep under the carpet, sweep out the door. It's something that you want to try and leverage so you can be protected, so you can uh, um, kind of help your survival. And so I started with that and then started to explore, well, okay, how come nobody these days is, are feeling protected um, from their anxiety? We have to start there because I know everybody's thinking that right now. 
And the answer to that is um, that all of us, including myself, have the volume on our anxiety turned way up these days. It's shown in all the stats. Even before, here's my wow stat, even before the pandemic, did you know that 90% of Americans raised their hands and said, I experience anxiety on a daily basis? 90%. This was before the pandemic. Clinical levels of anxiety went up by 30% over the pandemic, which basically you have to think that 100% of us have anxiety now. And that volume is turned way, way up. Too much of anything, even a good thing, is bad. So the first and, and one of the things that I tried so hard to do in this book is give every single person who reads this book a whole bunch of tools to be able to turn that anxiety down. Because that is step one, number one, in, in harnessing the goodness of your anxiety. Well, you're here to give us those tools, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. But one of the questions I want to ask, and you were saying that too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. And one of the reasons that I am I am with you on that 90% is that I think it was about around 2009, the studies were coming out of showing with more leisure time that we have and using our technology to indulge ourselves and be a consumer has given us more time to feel that anxiety and enhance that anxiety, do the comparing and contrasting on social media to be slammed with so much news. And of course, the best news to us that gets us fired up is the most horrible news. So we're getting, we are we are not only being force fed that news, we're searching it out. We were just talking about it earlier. And so a lot of this is doing this to ourselves. And then we're slammed with, I feel anxiety. I need to rid myself of this, which is the wrong procedure. That's the way, wrong way of looking at it. And so having a healthy understanding of what anxiety is, why we have it, and how we can use it is going to be beneficial to us rather than this idea of, I could find a pill, I could find something to do, I could ignore it, it'll go away. Because if you do try to sweep it under the rug, well, I'm sure you can tell us on what is going to happen if, if we play that game. I would just love to ask, obviously, there are moments in our life where we will feel anxiety. You, you can't avoid it. But what do, do we know clinically where it's something that we need to seek attention, we need to seek help? Because I think that's really a great starting point for our audience when we know our anxiety is overwhelming and we should probably talk to a professional. Perfect. That, that's the perfect question. And the answer is that anxiety exists on a very wide spectrum. There is clinical levels of anxiety, which is a different beast. It is a condition where your levels of anxiety are truly debilitating. You can't work. You can't interact uh, with your world. Uh, um, you need to go to a professional, a, a, a doctor, just like you would if you had a broken leg. Now, I did not write the book to treat clinical levels of anxiety. That's a really, really important point. So thank you for bringing that up. I wrote it to treat what I call everyday anxiety, the lower um, kind of levels of intensity of anxiety. Yet that anxiety, we know that everybody is feeling. We know that it is draining. We know that it is affecting us. We know it's affecting sometimes us for, you know, most of the awaking hours in the day because of the social media that is affecting us most of the waking hours of this day. And so the approaches that I, that I describe, not that 
people with clinical anxiety can't use it, but they were designed for uh, people with everyday anxiety. And I certainly put myself in that category. Uh, in fact, I outed myself while I was writing the book or I realized I am an anxiety denier or I was an anxiety denier. I started writing this book thinking, okay, I'm a neuroscientist. This is an interesting question. Let me dive in because, you know, I don't have that much anxiety myself, but, but let's just dive into it. And as I'm doing this research, it's like, oh, my God, I, I have so much anxiety. <laughs> Good thing I'm writing this book because it's really helping me. And many of us have behaviors and coping mechanisms that allow us to mitigate it and not realize that it's impacting us. What are some of those behaviors that our audience might be engaging in that's actually increasing their anxiety and they're not aware? Well, um, you know, I think a common one is just this, this uh, reflex. We have to sweep it under the rug. So I, I just always wanted to, again, going back to myself as my, my example, I wanted to be the uh, upbeat, the happy one, the energetic one. So I, I can't show anxiety. That, that is against my brand. Yet I was feeling these emotions, and that's why such a big part of this book is the message that anxiety is part of our normal range of human emotions. We were not designed to be 100% happy 100% of the time. We have all of these emotions. And why do we have anxiety? We have anxiety because that fear, that worry is saying, hey, this is important to you. Pay attention to this. And um, that is very important. You, you get scared if you're, you know, going to teach a big, you know, uh, course with thousands of people waiting to hear what you're going to tell them. Um, and, and you get a little bit nervous because that is an important consideration. That is a useful emotion. If you were at the same level of, you know, activation as you are watching Netflix on your couch, you would not give a very good presentation. So it is essential. That is why it's essential. I can laugh about the, the point you were making about speaking in front of a lot of people. And for myself, when I feel the most anxiety, it is usually during, and we were talking about this yesterday, it's usually during weeks of a program that we are running at the Art of Charm. And this weekend, we have a, a weekend boot camp that is happening here in Las Vegas. And with everything that I needed to get done throughout the week, I could feel the stress, the anxiety just working itself up to where at a fever pitch yesterday where I was in this snappy, not in a tolerable mood for anyone to deal with. And then this morning, knowing that he was pulling in, we had a big day. I felt great because we're in, we're in procession. We're in, we're moving into uh, program time. And so it started and now it's like everything else that I was worried about, I'm not going to worry about that. Now I'm just focused on making the most incredible experience for ourselves and our clients for this weekend. And that put me in a place to feel much better about what is going on. No, that is a great tool to use. Remember why you're doing this. That anxiety is telling you, you love giving these, these presentations. I could just tell. And, and um, we get worried and worked up because we want it to be so good. If you could focus more on 
you know, I'm doing this because this is my passion. This is my dream. And, and all of this work is going to be so that I could have these great interactions with the people or whatever, whatever that activity is. Um, I often remind myself of that because it's not just you and I that have these feelings of worry and, and fear and snappiness that comes uh, when, when things start to get overwhelming, which they're doing now um, every other day. And I know many of us in the current state, especially, are so focused on work. It feels like work is 24 7, 365, and that causes a lot of anxiety. And the breakdown in communication, we used to be able to go into the office and see our boss, relate to one another in a more physical space. And now many of our clients are coming to us feeling increased anxiety because they don't know what their boss thinks about their performance, they don't know how they're fitting in in the team. And there's this interpersonal dynamic to anxiety that we're seeing rising in our clients. So what role do relationships have on our anxiety levels? Yeah, relationships have a huge effect on your anxiety level. So, of course, the better the relationship, the more open, uh, the more communicative, the better. And the more just Zoom-like where it's just transactional. Okay, let's come on, let's get our stuff done and leave. It's like, what happened? Was that good? Was that good enough? Um, it, it can uh, exacerbate our anxiety. So I think that's a wonderful, um, wonderful reminder to all of the bosses, the supervisors, the managers to remind you, and I remind myself, I manage lots of students, lots of interns, um, that, that, it's up to you to remind others that, you know, we're here, we're a team, we're doing it together and to check in. I, I actually, before every lab meeting, before every intern meeting, we do um, a two minute meditation together to bring everybody into that space. It's only two minutes. We would have waited two minutes just for everybody to get there in the first place. And it's a reminder that we are, we are human. We're there together. We're there for a purpose. And um, it's really helped especially, I, I never used to do this when we weren't on Zoom, but I will continue when we get off Zoom, hopefully. Yeah. For many of us, it's that lack of communication that is anxiety inducing. We don't know where we stand. We don't know how people feel about us. And of course, we're trying our best to do our tasks and go about our day to day. But that anxiety does get to a fever pitch. So for Johnny, yesterday, he was snappy. I was feeling it and it was starting to impact us. And and let's talk about some strategies when you now have a gauge and you start to recognize in yourself that this anxiety is not only impacting me, but it's impacting my coworkers, my spouse, my friends. How do we start to mitigate that? So let me use Johnny's example from yesterday. So you had anxiety uh, that was uh, um, kind of stimulating your underlying physiological stress response. And this is what happens when you go into stress. It is activating that fight or flight response. And what is happening in your body is that your heart rate is going up, your respiration is going up, blood is being shunted from your digestion and reproductive systems to your muscles because that is the evolutionary uh, kind of response so that you can either fight whoever is coming at you or run away. And, um, and you have these you know, heightened feelings of, of fear and anxiety. And so how do we do that? So here is what everybody should know, but very few people do. Did you know that there is an equal and opposite part of your nervous system that is devoted to de-stressing you? That was the fight or flight. Did you know about the rest and digest? 
part of your nervous system. It's called the parasympathetic nervous system. And it is naturally deployed after a stressful event to try and get you back down. Of course, if the stressful things are still coming at you, you don't come down for a long time. So everybody should be asking, how do I activate that? What, how, how do I do that? And the best way to activate that is to breathe deeply because the parasympathetic system decreases your respiration rate decreases your heart rate and actually shunts blood from your muscles to your digestion and reproductive organs. And so the the best and most conscious way you have to start to control that and activate that is deep, slow breath. Not surprising that the most ancient form of meditation, relaxation, is deep breathing. Listen up. Are you dating who you want to be dating? Are you where you want to be in your career? Do you have a proper roadmap to get you to where you want to go? If you're tired of wasting time and tired of seeing other people effortlessly build their dream lives while you work twice as hard with fewer results to show for it, well, perhaps it's time to get the guidance, skills, and accountability that you need to reach that next level. In our X Factor Accelerator, you'll develop the tools you need to communicate powerfully, cultivate unstoppable confidence, and be held accountable by a community of high-value members, mentors, and coaches. That's right, Johnny. Now, this is no ordinary community. Each member has been selected and vetted to make sure that your experience is incredible. That's right, AJ. Our members are driven, knowledgeable, and dedicated to advancing their lives and the lives of the community. They are CEOs, professionals, business owners, and servicemen. So what are you waiting for? Come join the fun. If implementing concepts from this show has enhanced your life, imagine what a year-long mentorship in the X Factor Accelerator could do for you. Unlock your unique X Factor and become extraordinary. Apply today at unlockyourxfactor.com. That's unlockyourxfactor.com. And what I love about the deep breathing is that it also brings you into the present moment. Exactly. So a lot of Johnny's anxiety was induced based on what's going to happen this weekend. What's exactly going to happen Saturday when he steps in front of the room? How are the clients going to be interacting and feeling? Much of our anxiety is from not what's happening directly in the moment, but it's what could happen in the future. And with that breathing exercise, I've taught it to our clients. I use it in these moments as we were laughing earlier, just getting a little stressed, getting here in the studio, getting set up. It can induce that anxiety. So when we look at our breathing and we look at this this pattern of breath for us to calm down, how long do you suggest we do that to really get that parasympathetic nervous system working in our advantage? Yeah, you know, it can start uh, working in just a couple of rounds of breath. I tend to recommend uh, a boxed breathing technique, which is inhaling on a four count, holding on a four count, exhaling on a four count, and holding at the bottom for a four count. So in an anxious situation, you might be waiting for to go on a podcast, for example, um, Um, Just a few rounds of that can really, you know, quickly bring you back to a a calmer place. So, um, yeah, if you do it longer, it'll probably last longer. But try it out. I love these approaches because they're experimental. They work immediately. They're using a part of the nervous system that has evolutionarily evolved for just as long as that um, uh, fight or flight system. And um, people don't realize how powerful it can be. 
we talked a little bit, obviously the title of the book, Good Anxiety, Bad, we, we label things, our emotions as good and bad, and that can often lead us astray. And many of us, because of those labels, will try to avoid certain emotions. We'll try to avoid anger. We'll try to avoid frustration and anxiety. But that actually works against us. That avoidance doesn't actually help. It often compounds the problem. So how can we feel into those emotions if we've been taught that these are bad emotions that we should avoid? Yeah, so that's a great question. And the first uh, important step is to realize that these are not bad emotions. These are normal human emotions. Fear, worry, anxiety, anger, and that the most important thing is they teach us things about ourselves, our world, our um, values. And so the value of turning down the volume on your anxiety, turning down the volume, not kicking it out the door, is that it gives you that space to be able to turn in on your um, on these uncomfortable emotions. And, um, you know, I, I found myself making friends with my own anxiety because I found that it, it taught me um, about what I really value. For example, one of my oldest anxieties, uh, I was a very, very shy, awkward wallflower of a young girl and, and uh, a high school student and college student. So I had a lot of social anxiety. And um, of course, I'm a professor and a teacher now, so, so I've, I've learned some skills. But that fear, particularly of, of social situations, parties, or when I'm meeting new people for the first time, not in a work setting, that that social anxiety still comes back. And what I realized is I've always had it, um, but but it's a double-edged sword because while it's always hard for me to, you know, kind of get comfortable in those situations, what I realized over the pandemic is that by breaching that fear uh, and making those connections, that's what got me through the pandemic. Those Social situate social connections. Those friends that would come on Zoom calls and and meet me for walks. Um, so so valuable. And I'm fine once we become friends. It's just that fear of you know making friends and being vulnerable. But it's like okay, yes, you're scared. But look at look at all the all the wonderful things that come if you if you do that. So so that's one example of of what can come from turning in and, and looking at your emotions in, um, in a more objective way. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Would you say this is the beginning of our our looking at new conditioning of how we're going to be looking at anxiety from fear to joy conditioning. (laughs) You just mentioned the very favorite part of my whole book, which is this tool of joy conditioning. And I, I, I think that I hope that everybody has a change of mindset towards the emotion of anxiety from this book. And so joy conditioning is an example of something that you can do to help counteract fear conditioning that happens uh, automatically when something negative happens, scary, negative. You know, uh, I, I think I give the example in the book of uh, I was living in Washington, D.C., and my apartment was burgled. And I walked around the corner and I saw my door crowbarred in. And Every single time after that, every time I walked around the corner, I had this fear. It's like, am I going to see that same view again? That's fear conditioning. It lasts a long, long time. And again, it's also protective. So I thought, why, you know, how can we counteract that? And so I used my 25-year understanding of how memory works to come up with the idea of joy conditioning. Joy conditioning is based on how we know our long-term memories are stored. Um, It uses a brain structure called the hippocampus. And we know that things like repetition can simply make a a memory stronger. So joy conditioning is the practice of going through and finding the juiciest, most funny, most loving memory that you can come up with. 
and try and find one with an olfactory component with a smell associated with it. You know, think your grandmother's uh, lemon pie and, um, and just reliving all of those wonderful memories of the who, what, where, when, and why associated with that loving memory. And why do I ask that you have a smell associated with it? Because we know that olfactory cues can be very evocative for particular memories. So you can use it for other memories, but ones with olfactory cues are particularly potent. So, so you want to, um, you know, kind of evoke some of the best emotions that you've ever experienced in your life. Try some joy conditioning. Just go back and think through those emotions and remember those details, particularly those positive emotions. And yeah. This is exactly why I'm so big on creating ritual in your life for different phases of your day, your morning period, your deep work period, your creative period, where you changed the light setting, where you maybe light some incense. Um, uh, p- perhaps you you put out some some symbolism, some visuals that state this is where you are lighting that candle. All of these things have a way of, of creating an atmosphere or bringing you into an atmosphere to be better at the task at hand. For myself, I'm also a musician. Writing, playing music is very important to me. And in the evening when I'm done with work, the, the atmosphere of my apartment changes to make it more conducive to be in that atmosphere to, to write. And we're so quick to get rid of things that we've seen that might seem as old fashioned to us as creating ritual, make turning habit into a ritual that changes, that helps change our state. I totally agree with that. And I particularly love the idea of ritual because through ritual, I was finally, after years of trying, able to kind of create a meditative practice for myself that really worked. So I tried everything, tried all the guided visualizations and meditations, and they worked for a little while, but it didn't really draw me back that that that's what I really wanted to do until I had the pleasure of going to Bali and I happened to meet this monk Uh, who specialized in tea and tea ceremonies. And he taught me this tea meditation, which is simply a meditation over the brewing and drinking of tea. And every day since that, which was six six years ago, um, I have done it every single morning. Because for me, that ritual, first you boil the water, then you pour it in the tea, then you let it seep, then you pour the tea, then you drink the tea, then you start over again. That ritual kind of kept me in meditation when otherwise it was like, okay, it's been 10 minutes. Can I get through 12 minutes of meditation? And so now it's easily, you know, 45 minutes if I let it go that long. Um, but it's because of, of the power of ritual. I love that. And linking habits is something we've talked a lot about. I've actually linked brushing my teeth to box breath. Oh. So in working with my therapist, I would find that sometimes just starting my day, I'd get a little over anxious thinking about my inbox and trying to get to all the tasks at hand. So it's always helpful if there's something that's already in your life that you're doing without having to think, without having to use willpower or motivation to then link another practice like this. We were on our way over here and uh, one of our team members was sharing that his struggles with anxiety happen at night and often keep him up laying awake in bed. And he was wondering, 
hey, is there anything that I could do if I'm finding myself in this constant state of rumination that's keeping me from getting to sleep? And he was sharing that he's tried some breath work and it really hasn't worked. So are there strategies that might help some in our audience who are struggling with that rumination and can't get to sleep? Absolutely. In fact, one of the six major gifts of anxiety that I talk about in Good Anxiety addresses exactly this point. And so I struggled with exactly the same thing. I would be just about ready to fall asleep. You know, I could feel it. It's going to feel so good to be asleep. And then suddenly, oh my God, what if that happens? What if this happens? What if I don't get that raise? What if all of these things? So that what if list, then I'm wide awake and I can't get back to sleep. And so the, um, the gift of, of that um, is that you can turn all of your what ifs that are always based on things that are important to you, things going on in your life. Turn that what if list, not that night, but the next day into a to-do list. So what I do now is that still happens, um, that, that worry still comes up, but I know that what I'm going to do is, is turn that what if into my productivity for the next day. And it also helps resolve the anxiety because every time you can take some action to resolve anxiety, which uh, evolutionarily was resolved by physically running away or fighting, it, it, it is a, a very useful thing. So um, that is a gift of productivity that comes from your own personal form of rumination or what I call in the book, the what if list. I want to add to that. And, and I love looking to focus that anxiety somewhere productive. And as things were coming to a head for me yesterday throughout the evening, once I went from my day is done, now it's guitar time and I was going to sit down and write and put, did everything that I needed to do to get myself in that state. I found myself and, and I had one of the most productive little sessions. I found a part for a song I've been searching for and I, and I, was, I was so present in that moment which I think that led to when I woke up today, I was utterly refreshed and excited for the day to begin rather than that anxiety spilling over in today. Like today, with com- completely different mood. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. It's, it's so important to um, kind of jumpstart yourself out of those phases of anxiety. And it can be very powerful to, you know, switch off even a, a bad anxiety session. I know for myself, when I get the most anxious, those what ifs become very daunting. And and a strategy that I've tried to use that has been effective is follow out to completion the worst case scenario. So we'll we'll often be like, oh, this is going to be terrible. But what truly is terrible? So oftentimes our worries, the things that are triggering these anxieties, if you actually think them through, follow them out to the absolute worst case, they're not nearly as bad as we often label them. And that strategy has been really impactful for me. Another one that we talk about a lot with our clients is diffusing yourself from the emotion. So oftentimes when we feel an emotion, we fuse ourselves to that emotion and we become that emotion. We don't realize that actually just creating a little bit of space, understanding that that's an emotion that I'm feeling. I've also felt a number of other emotions throughout today, and this will pass like those other emotions. Can you speak a little bit about the impact that diffusion in our emotions has on our anxiety? Yeah, absolutely. That's such an important point. Um, I was, I I also wanted to say that, you know, um, that, that shift of mindset from, 
oh my God, this is going to be terrible for our, our business to actually we can do it. That mindset shift is, uh, I'll start with that and I'll go to the next thing next is so, so important, uh, particularly for those of us that, that have anxiety because it is something that, um, can diffuse anxiety from, you know, this is the end of the world to, to this is actually just fine. And I love it because another gift that comes from anxiety is the gift of creativity. That mindset shift is asking you to use your creativity to, um, in this case, to look at the situation from a, a more distant perspective. Uh, sometimes to shift a a, a um, you know a task that was thrown at you uh, into a challenge. Like, can you can you approach it like something that that is a challenge for you? And those small shifts um, um, work your creativity in a great way and can be used in so many parts of your life. Um, but and it could also be used in, in emotions. So, so where are you kind of, uh, focusing that emotional, um, uh, um, um, real estate in, in where you are feeling. And while I am a big proponent of saying that all the emotions, the, uh, the more uncomfortable ones, as well as the joyful ones, um, are equally important. Uh, I certainly don't want people dwelling only in anger or only in, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, hatred uh, for a long time. Um, but it's always useful to feel them because they're, again, they're telling you something. You can't, uh, I don't recommend acting from that emotion of hatred, but feel it. Say, okay, yeah, that, that is what's happening. And then try and step back to ask, what is that hatred? Wow, wow, that was a, that was a big bout of hatred. Where's that coming from? And um, sometimes it comes from something specific. Sometimes it comes from just a general situation. I'm just feeling hateful today because so many bad things happened. And it also gives you a new perspective on how to move forward. So feel the feelings. We're never going to get rid of hatred, anger, anxiety, all these uncomfortable emotions, but then address them from a point of curiosity, from a point of creativity, and from a point of asking what they can tell us about, about our values. I know many of us, when we feel anxiety, there's a physical sensation often tied to it. We'll feel hot or flush in our face. We'll feel pain or tightness in our muscles. And our body is reacting. And, and sometimes just scanning your body and thinking about all the different feelings and sensations that are going on, again, can reroute that focus away from the actual anxiety into a more meaningful pathway for you to move forward. And we talk about this in a social setting. So many of our clients come to us feeling some social anxiety, exactly as you were saying. And I think it's really important. I'm glad that you shared that you still feel it because many will think, oh, I just have to banish anxiety. Like the end goal is to never feel that way again. And that's not practical. You're feeling that anxiety because you care, because you actually want relationships. You want to be viewed positively. And that's a good thing. We don't want to become robots and we don't want to lose that anxiety, but understand that that anxiety is a meaningful signal that, hey, I'm about to meet some really awesome people. And guess what? They're probably feeling it too. And I think that's really important that we normalize these feelings instead of labeling social anxiety as bad and feeling like we're broken or we're different or we're incomplete. Everyone right now is feeling it. 
Were there things that you would do in preparation for social events that would help you counteract that social anxiety that you knew you would be feeling? You know, it's uh, going back to uh, earlier part of the conversation and just reminding myself that this is a great opportunity. I love meeting great people. And I have an opportunity. I don't know. Maybe they won't be great, but maybe they'll be really, really great. And this is this is an opportunity. And um, I can't control what's going to happen. But let's let's go in with that with that possibility. And so uh, uh, just reminding myself about that rather than oh they're going to think I'm stupid. They're going to think I'm not you know interesting enough. All these things that um, have also gone through my mind uh, before I go into a social situation. Well, that reframing is incredibly important. And I don't think you're going to be able to reframe properly if you don't have a working relationship with that anxiety and yourself when you are experiencing it. Um, Another thing that I was laughing about with AJ earlier is, is I also last night went through what was worst possible scenario, but also how long we've been doing this, 15 years. and, and And I also went through... The, the problems that, that, that I was worried about in the past, what had happened when we experienced them. And so I went through all those and I was like, oh, we've been through more scarier things that have happened doing our live programs over the last 15 years. And we've done them in different cities and different countries without half the resources that we have when we're at a home base. And they were amazing. But again, without working through that, without understanding what state I was in and having that conversation, it would only allow that to continue to percolate. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about that in the book as our natural human negativity bias. So if lots of things happen, some bad, some good, what do we do? It's like, oh, remember that, that one comment that that person gave about my talk? Oh, my God, that was terrible. When there's 3,000 other positive comments, right? And, and it's also somewhat a, a protective mechanism. Um, it also works, uh, I think people will relate to this, in a, um, in a social situation where, um, you know, in, in my academic world, we're always evaluating candidates evaluating things. And you have to be very, very careful about what you say about these different applications. Even a small negative thing can, you know, tank this application because the negative comments have so much more power than the positive comments. And so that's really important to keep in mind for what you hear on the outside. Remind yourself, are you only focusing on that one negative comment and ignoring all the beautiful comments that um, that other people. I, I found myself doing that the other day for myself, and a friend, you know, you know, tapped me on the head and said, "Come on, you <laughs> stop focusing on that." And I said, "Oh God, I'm doing it again." We all and we have to get comfortable with that idea that no matter how well you even understand all of this, it's you're still programmed to view it in one way, and that you have to override that programming. Yeah. And it's learning. I mean, that is uh, the reason why that the underlying theme of the whole book, Good Anxiety, is brain plasticity. Uh, The brain's ability to learn, to respond to the environment. And there's positive brain plasticity that includes all the learning that we do and um, all of the situations that we can help uh, promote positive brain plasticity, like 
movement, working out, meditation, uh, sleep, so important, but then negative brain plasticity. The brain also responds negatively to uh, um, uh, prolonged negative stimuli like stress, like bad anxiety, as we've been talking about. And with that negativity bias, many of us are hypercritical of ourselves. Some in the audience are even perfectionists. And not only are we primed to hold on to the negative, but we often stop our self-analysis on the negative. And we teach all of our clients, it's okay to critique yourself, but we have to, to weigh the scale and tip it to an equilibrium and give yourself an opportunity to be positive about whatever you could take away from that experience. So even if you bombed your talk, even if you went to that event and you didn't meet anyone cool or fun, well, what were the positives? What went your direction? Well, you showed up on stage. You actually had an audience in front of you. You got out of the house and got an opportunity to meet some new people, even if they weren't for you. And it's so important that we realize we're primed to think in the negative. We're primed to hold on to the negative. So to counteract that, we also have to spend some time focusing on the positive. And for me, sometimes that's relying on a friend like Johnny saying, hey, I'm in this loop. I'm in this situation. Or my fiance, Amy, can help me snap out of that. So one of the things that we're seeing now is not only are we feeling anxiety, but the people that we love, the people that we care about are also feeling anxiety. And I know many in our audience are parents and they really want to help their children deal with it in in an effective way. And we now know that sweeping it under the rug, telling them not to feel it, to avoid it is not helpful. So what advice do you have for the parents who are listening who are concerned about the anxiety their children are facing? Yeah. So uh, anxiety for kids, just like anxiety for ourselves. I think the first first thing is to learn how to turn it down, learn how to get out of that, you know, really negative uh, spiral of anxiety. And we've already talked about the power of the breath. Um, um, I love that one because... Um, if you practice it when your kids don't have anxiety, uh, they can use it while they're standing in line at school, while they're in class, if anxiety comes up, uh, you can model and practice that together. Um, you could even do it if they get uh, anxious during a conversation. So have them do it, you know, while the other person is talking and they don't even know, the other person doesn't even know you're doing it because you could kind of do it uh, 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 in a stealth manner. Uh, but the other tool that I, I, I like to give, again, for both parents and kids is movement. I've spent many years studying the effects of physical activity on the brain. And every single time you move your body, it's like you're giving your brain a wonderful bubble bath of neurochemicals. Because every time you move, you move your body, you are releasing dopamine, serotonin, noradrenaline, and growth factors. And the more bubble baths you give your brain, the better you feel. It improves your mood. That's why you go out for a walk and you feel better. It's those neurochemicals that you're stimulating. That's also a wonderful thing. If you know that your your kid or yourself is going to be anxious because of a particular situation, get that walk in before you go. Get there after having a good, you know, power walk and uh, get yourself to that level. Uh, but but then even with kids, you could also start practicing, you know, how do you feel? It's okay to feel afraid. It's okay to feel worried. Let's talk a little bit about why you might be worried and then bring in all the things that you guys talked about so beautifully. Is this the best thing? Do you think we could survive this situation with, you know, your friend that's causing you problems? Yes, of course we can. And talk it through and, and you know, be that wonderful coach 
for your kid, uh, but but let them know that it's okay to feel those emotions, but give them the tools to turn down um, the worst parts of um, the emotion of anxiety. I love the movement piece. You touched on this earlier. Obviously, that stress is going to cause that fight or flight response. Your body is ready for flight. So yes. why not use that to your advantage? The blood has moved into your muscles. So move your muscles, get exactly. it flowing again to combat that feeling, that tension. Now, the last question that I have is around some advice that you've encountered that is actually counterproductive for anxiety. Because many of us are, are seeing things on social media or online, do this, do that. And, and there's a lot of information out there around anxiety. But are there things that we may be doing that are actually counterintuitively hurting us or priming us for more anxiety? So I'll give you an example. In, in my life, I didn't realize how much coffee was playing a role in anxiety. So I thought the coffee was helping me. I wasn't getting a good night's sleep. All of a sudden, I'm on my third cup, and I could not get that anxiety to turn down, no, no matter how much movement I was doing. And there are these behavior patterns that we've picked up, and Johnny's smiling because he's on his fourth cup, <laughs> that, that are actually working against us and priming us for that anxiety. Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. So absolutely. Um, the caffeine is, uh, can, can hype, you up, hype you up and increase your feelings of anxiety. Uh, the one that I worked on um, very explicitly over the lockdown was sleep patterns. So you mentioned that with the coffee. Um, I was not satisfied by the pattern of sleep that I had. And uh, so I tried everything, you know, uh, turn the TV off and take a bath and, and cool my room down. And those helped a little bit. But the one thing that really helped me a lot, that kind of pushed me into really good sleep cycle, was I gave up um, alcohol. And I did it temporarily to see the effect. Oh, my God. Alcohol and me it was affecting my sleep every single time I drank it. And once I had, you know, a month with no alcohol, I could see the effect on my regular sleep. I got eight hours. I could predict the time I would wake up by the time that I went to sleep. I was feeling so much more rested. My brain felt better. My emotional regulation felt stronger. I could withstand, you know, whatever would come at me at the day, in the day. And so people don't realize, I'm not saying that you have to give up all alcohol, but do a little test on yourself. Just try, try it for a week and see if you see a difference because I, I noticed a huge difference. And, and add coffee in there uh, if, you, if you want. I, I drink um, tea every morning with my tea meditation that has caffeine. Um, that doesn't seem to affect me, but, but uh, what really helped my sleep was giving up alcohol. Yeah, no surprise there. I think many in the audience, unfortunately, will, will view alcohol as that way to unwind, right? We see the ads, we think about, oh, I'll just have a glass of wine, it's going to bring down my stress. And in actuality, it's keeping you from getting that deep sleep, that restorative sleep that helps you overcome and get ready for the next day. So we love asking every one of our guests what their X factor is. What is that about you, personality trait attribute that makes you extraordinary? I think I have... Um a gift for storytelling that can combine real science with personal, relatable story. And I think that's why 
people get what they get out of my books about either exercise or anxiety. It's not high up in the ivory tower, hoity-toity. There is some of that. And so I, I convey information about the real science underlying it, but I couch everything in my own personal experience. And so I think that's one of my I completely agree. You're so relatable. And I thank you so much for sharing everything that you've worked through yourself to help those in our audience combat the negative impacts of anxiety, but also realize that anxiety is good. It's a marker that we care and we can channel it in a good way, in a healthy way to help us move forward and grow. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Suzuki. It was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Johnny, I know we have a lot of guests on the show talking about anxiety, but we often view it in such a negative light as something to avoid or attempt to get rid of. And it was so refreshing to talk to Dr. Suzuki today about how to actually use that anxiety to your advantage. Absolutely. Life is about perspective. If you view anxiety as the worst thing ever, then it's going to be. But if you can find utility in it, it can compel you and propel you forward. I love it. And of course, Wendy shared with us some personal anecdotes of anxiety in her own life. And we love when our guests get real with us. I know it's easy to view people on a pedestal and feel that your challenges are different, but hearing her deal with her own anxiety and share the secrets that she used to manage it more effectively was really enlightening. AJ, this is a very exciting shout out this week because it came to us while we were running our boot camp here in Vegas. It was one of our previous participants from just a few months ago. His name is Alex, and he wrote us to let us know that he used what he learned in his July program to get his dream internship. From the video work, he was able to make an incredible first impression and carried on a fantastic conversation that allowed him to come off confident and relaxed. Congratulations, Alex. That's what this is all about. I love that the boot camp experience is immersive, that you're learning everyday skills that can propel you forward to win at work, love, and life. Now, we are announcing boot camp dates for 2022. If you would like to be the first to know, text boot camp to plus one nine one seven seven two zero four one zero four. That's right. Text boot camp to be first to know about our 2022 boot camp dates. Now, before we wrap the show, could you do us and the entire team a huge favor? Open up Apple Podcasts and rate and review this show. It allows us to bring on great guests like Dr. Suzuki and, of course, others like yourselves to find this fantastic show. The Art of Charm podcast is produced by Michael Harold and Eric Montgomery. Until next week, I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny.